Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Cityco, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Cityco, and we're recording at Blueprint in Salford. This time we're talking about rough sleeping, an issue that has come increasingly to the top of the social and political agenda over the past one or two years, and even reached the national press. Joining me to discuss the issue are Eleanor Watts, area manager at Riverside, one of Manchester's biggest outreach providers, Joe Wilson, who has experience of sleeping rough and now volunteers at the Booth Centre, and Alex King of Cityco, who sits on the board of the Homelessness Action Partnership, representing the private and business sectors. Eleanor, let's start by understanding the problem as it stands, if we can. Why do we use the term rough sleeping rather than homeless for people in the city centre? Homelessness can take many forms. Basically, you can be homeless if you're sat in a and b waiting for accommodation. Also, in supported housing, you're still classed as homeless because you actually haven't got a roof that you can permanently call your own. So when we say about homelessness, we'd rather use the word rough sleeping because that's someone who hasn't got a roof. Um, and also in the town centre, you've got to remember, there's also people begging. So when you're walking around the town centre, you don't necessarily see people who are rough sleeping, they may be begging, who have a roof. So it's a very complex issue. And yeah, we do like to use the word rough sleeper with someone who hasn't got a roof. So when, when you're moving around the city centre, the people that you're seeing, that you may want to categorise all in one folder, as it were, have all different life experiences, their levels of accommodation are different, what they're doing in the city centre can be very different. It's very different because, I mean, we have rough sleepers that tend to be actually out of the city centre, that actually will hide rather than actually sleep rough in the city centre because it's safer. Um, people do come into our city because it is an affluent city to actually beg. We've had instances of people coming in from different areas, um, Leicester, Liverpool, Stoke, just because the, the begging is, is a better. So, yeah, um, what you see in the town centre is probably about 20% rough sleepers and the rest are actually got roofs. Even if, presumably, some of those with roofs, actually it's sofa surfing on a friend. It's, it's not necessarily having a house or a flat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. um, what's the scale of the problem? How many people do we think are sleeping rough in the city centre? Well, um, we go by an average count, and it's only a snapshot. People don't like the count. But in 2010, there were seven rough sleepers in our city centre. In 2016... Or is it 17 last year? Um, <laughs> it was 78. So we're actually talking about over a 1,000% increase in the city centre. Now, that 78 is just a snapshot. I would treble it, personally, and that would be how many people are actually sleeping rough in Manchester. Isn't there quite a specific criteria when you're out doing the count to determine? Yeah. You've got yeah. to be actually asleep in a sleeping bag. I would suggest that Manchester don't say that because basically if we know they're a rough sleeper, we will count them. Um, and, you, count them. and you guys are coming out with me this year to prove what we count and what we don't. So who counts? It's the council. Mm -hmm. We actually manage the count uh -huh. and we, we actually coordinate it. Mm -hmm. We also have a verifier from Homeless Link mm -hmm. and we've had various charities, Booth Centre come out with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we have interpreters, we have um, Urban Village Medical Centre. Mm -hmm. We have a whole range of people that come mm -hmm. out with us and we go out in groups through the town centre mm -hmm. um, at a, on a date which mm -hmm. I cannot disclose. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and it, we start at two o'clock in the morning, so we actually count rough mm. sleepers. Mm. It's quite an undertaking, though, isn't it? Yes, yeah. but <laughs> I'm looking forward to you all joining me this year. <laughs> Got to find all the little nooks and crannies that everyone's sleeping in. And... Yeah, we use a lot of intelligence <clears throat> from like the rough sleeper teams, our teams, uh, City Co. We use a lot of that intelligence because at the end of the day, we have roots. But if there's bigger hotspots that have arose that year, we actually mm. go to those mm. as well. Mm. And we have a team out in a car as mm. well that goes throughout Manchester. Okay. So the numbers are increasing, certainly been increasing over the last few years. Um, has the profile of people who are rough sleeping been changing as well? Uh, are there, is the gender split staying the same? I mean, I was looking at the gender split before I came here of people who are working with outreach and it's 5% um, females and 95% males. But what is interesting this year, I mean, these are last year's figures, so we're a couple of months into it, we are seeing more females in couples sleeping rough and traditionally in hostels, they've been asked to split. One goes to a male hostel, one goes to a female hostel. I know the hostels that I run, actually we we take couples and that's quite a rare thing and i think manchester is leading the way within the way we are working with people off the streets people who are in couples would rather stay on the streets than be split, and up. Be split up which you can understand mm. yeah absolutely and the same issues you always hear about people who want to stay with their dogs or whatever yeah. that they're not able to get into accommodation this is um one thing that is quite interesting because people will tell you that they can't get into hostels with dogs. All Riverside hostels in Manchester take dogs. And we, we I don't have a limit of how many dogs. It's just we do, a, I know it sounds strange, but we do a dog risk assessment. <laughs> that, and we work with the um, Dogs Trust as well to make sure that we've got the food, we've got the um, leads, we've got all the equipment for the dogs. And the dogs are really well looked after. There's other hostels within Manchester as well that take dogs. So when people say they can't get in with dogs, it's a barrier that isn't actually there. And it may well be a legend that's passed yeah. amongst rough sleepers as well. Until yeah. Um, and then we've seen an awful lot of publicity, obviously, about Spice in the last few months, particularly, even though it's been around for a while. Um, so how's that affected the rough sleeping community? Well, with Spice, I mean, housing's been dealing with Spice since it came, came around about three, three and a half years ago. We started having instances, yeah, years ago. Um, it depends on the different strains of it as well, because the strains change so much. Basically, it can be an aggressive strain where people are coming out of it and they become quite aggressive or they can just freeze, like we've seen on the streets of Manchester. The problem with spice is people are losing their accommodation because of their behaviour when they're on spice, and that is basically it's a vicious circle and there's there's not a lot people can like advise anybody to do when people are on spice because you've got they don't have competency to be able to talk with someone so the issue is if someone's constantly on spice how do you support that person yeah so, it's real yeah. it's a real challenge and mm. we you know we've started those conversations to try and find out where the best advice is and how do we get that out quickly and it, and in a in a format that's not overwhelming mm. for the end user? So if we've got a business who's saying actually I've got people who are on spice near my premises and I don't know what to do, we want to be able to be that 
provider of up-to-date and correct information because there's seen a few things knocking around which don't bear up much interrogation mm. in terms of good advice. But as you said, the, the, the potency of, of, the, of what's on the streets one week is entirely different to the next. So how you keep that advice up to date is another mm. quite significant Yeah, that challenge. seems to be one of the problems in that even if there are um, different potencies of heroin, you broadly know what's going to happen to somebody who's taken heroin and you broadly know how to react to that and you can give that education. But if Spice, the recipe changes so substantially that one week it's making people catatonic, the next week it's making people violent, which is what we've had in the last few months, mm. then how you give advice to even professionals, never mind mm. people who are just working and seeing somebody in that state, it's incredibly difficult to do. I think that's one of the struggles as well, because it's so cheap as well. And it, now it's also getting, it's being caught with heroin and crack cocaine as well. But if people are just on heroin, there is a substitute for it that you can get. Yeah. So you can either get methadone or subutex for it. Whereas with spice, there's, you know, what do you give people instead to try and get them off it? We're very early in that process, yeah. I guess, for scientists to study it and actually try and come yeah. up with those things that will help with the detox process. And it's well. a struggle for the drug teams because they don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it's um, with heroin, if someone's overdosing, you know, all our outreach work... Oh, start again. All our outreach workers have got naloxone, yeah. which can bring someone round. Now, spice kills... There's, the reports of deaths is very low because it's basically, it'll be a heart attack and, and things like that. And, you know, in housing, we've had many deaths in the city from spice and people don't realise how dangerous this is. And it's also getting it across to the person who's taking that spice for the first time that actually that first puff could actually kill you. Mm. You know, it's so potent, mm. so... It's not just dangerous for people that are actually taking it, it's dangerous for people that aren't taking it because they're picking up dimps off the floor mm. thinking it's just a roll-up and it's not. It's the end of a spice roll-up and, you know, you don't know you're smoking it and all of a sudden people have ended up in hospital through that as well. So, so for people who don't know, I don't know, what do outreach service, services provide? With Riverside, we've got quite a different model because a lot of outreach services throughout the country um, have outreach, and that's it. But what we've done is actually we've connected our outreach to accommodation. So basically, my team go out and actually engage with people. Now, this can take months because these some of these guys have been on the streets for 15, 20 years. So they'll build up that relationship and they'll actually not promise anything because they've heard it, they've seen it, you know, they've been through services and people have promised them the world and not given them anything. So we build up that relationship. And then when we've got a vacancy within our, within our estate, we kind of go, right, do you want to come in today? And some will say no, 50% will say no, I don't, I'm not ready today. But then that one person that you've built that relationship up with, who's been on the streets for 10, 15 years, will say, yeah, I'm ready today. And then we bring them in. And what also happens, which is quite unique, is people do abandon when they first come in off the streets because they're not used to a building, a bathroom, um, a kitchen. So they actually will go, no, this, this is too scary for me. So our outreach worker, because they've built up that relationship, they actually know where they're going to be rough sleeping, will actually encourage them back into the, their accommodation. And what we do, we build up their 
basically community assets when they're in supportive accommodation so that they can actually decide where they want to live long term and hopefully you know that process will keep them off the streets which sounds incredibly resource intensive if you start that relationship with somebody and they may not come into accommodation then they may leave the accommodation then they'll come back mm -hmm. and then you you have to take them on that journey as well yeah i mean we a lot of people will abandon and they'll come back but then some people will drift to other cities and then drift back into manchester so it's about having that open door mm. and just mm. never saying, mm. no, you can't come come back. Then how do you get people out of rough sleeping? Is it just that, Can I have a magic that, wand? that <laughs> process? Is it that process that you just have to be with them repeat, for month repeat, after month repeat, after month? Repeat, yeah, yeah it, it's basically, it's relationships. If mm. you've not got a good relationship with that person, they're not going to work with mm. you. It's building that relationship up so that they begin to trust you. Because, like I said, they've been through the system. They, they've known they've been let down, you know. And also, if you've been sleeping rough for a while, you're, you've not taken on the rules. If you're going to traditional supported housing, there's rules. You know, you might have to be out of the lounge for 11 o'clock or, or something like that. But actually, they're not used to that. So let's work with them as a person and try and, you know, get them to a stage where they're staying in that accommodation. So is there enough accommodation for people? I don't think nationally there enough there's enough accommodation. Of the, type, of the right type, possibly. Is right. I think yeah. the issue we've got in Manchester is we had a perfect storm in 2011. Basically, we lost about 249, that sounds very specific, <laughs> it was, um, units of accommodation through different things. We also had the sanctions and the benefits changes. We also had a reduction in services from the drugs teams, mental health services. So, so all of this came at the same time. And basically, it's it spiralled the rough sleeping. And then we had the activists come into the town centre, you know, to say homelessness is a problem. So... When you ask whether there's enough accommodation, no. But actually, is it the right accommodation? Because we've got Housing First now in Manchester. Uh, Riverside do Housing First, which is where people can go into a Housing First rather than Treatment First. Um, there's a whole range of accommodation. But for me, the stopgap is the interim accommodation. We don't seem to have that sort of semi-independent accommodation available mm. that safe space mm. we were talking about yesterday yeah. weren't we and i suppose to start getting people back into understanding the rules and actually being able to live inside mm. again and out of those communities well it's a tenancy agreement isn't it we all have to have some sort of rules in our lives and it's that tenancy agreement and getting people to understand what's acceptable and what's not mm. joe turning to you See, I got your name right this time. <laughs> As someone who slept rough, um, can you talk us through some of the reasons that people end up sleeping on the streets? Oh, uh, many reasons. Um, relationship breakdowns, um, addiction problems, losing tenancies through uh, rent arrears, coming out of prison, coming out of care. Many reasons. In your experience, is that changing over time? No. So it's the same, same range reasons, con yeah. constantly. 
Um, and what was your experience of the support services that were available when you were on the street? Um, for me, they were non-existent until uh, I was put in, especially as a woman, they were really non-existent because every hostel that was phoned round for me was, yeah, the spaces, what's his name? And it was, I'm ringing for a woman and they just assume, you know, they don't listen. So it's, there's no spaces for women. I did end up in a night shelter that was only open four nights a week. So the weekends, it was back on the street again, so. And is that one of the problems in, in that the services that are there aren't open all the time or are inconsistent? Well, so that, you're having to shuffle between different services yeah, at I mean, different times? Yeah, I mean, that time. actual service is now open seven days a week. But when I was on the streets three years ago, it wasn't, um, you know, like I said, a lot of services are geared towards men. Which, if 5%, 10% of yep. rough sleepers are women, it's a sort of vicious circle. That but they still needed, I mean, of. when they shut some, the, the council shut some of the shared accommodation down, there was four for women. They shut two of them down. So you're closing 50% of them. People were still living in You know, where are you going to put them? Even if you got a, accommodation on offer, how hard is it and what are the other reasons why people are choosing not to leave the streets? Because they don't trust... You know, lack of trust with the services because they think it's you know it's just going to be the same thing. I'm going to get in there. There's going to be rules. I've got to do this. Got to be in by this time. Got to get up by this. Same with like night shelters. You know, I mean, you've got to be out by seven o'clock in the morning. So they're getting you up at seven at six o'clock in the morning, and you've got to be out for seven. And so you're back walking the streets again all day. And then you've got to be there between half past seven and nine o'clock. Otherwise, you're locked out. You can't get back in. With, with, all, with all your world with everything you own, yeah, you yeah. can't leave anything there because mm. of health and safety reasons, and plus people might steal them, and you've got to carry everything on your back. Mm. Night shelters aren't the solution, though, are they? No, they're not. No, we we need proper housing yeah. rather than night shelters. I think night shelters are a quick fix and a plaster. Mm. You do seem to see if you're walking around the city streets at six. You obviously you see people who are out there who have actually probably slept overnight, then around half past seven, you suddenly see an influx of people who are just sitting out, who are presumably coming in from the night shelters at that time because yeah. they've got nothing else to do. Is there also a, a community formed on the, on the streets that actually is then hard to break away from? If you've got sort of your whole family is, being, is, is out there. That is your family. Commas, yeah. Yeah, that, will t- that will end up being your family. I mean, it was a different. I was only on the streets for a couple of weeks. I was lucky, well, say lucky, but I was only on the streets for a couple of weeks. But through now working and volunteering in service, you can see that is their family. You know, and moving away from that, it's like losing another family. And I think that's always been one of the issues with addiction problems, hasn't it? If, yeah. if actually you've spent a year being addicted to something, those are the people that you love and are around that's and pulling yourself away from That's the people that you rely on, you know. You rely on those people and breaking, coming out of addiction, breaking away from them people is one of the hardest things because you, you have to completely change the people that you're around because you stay around them people, you will end up back using again. Yeah. You stay around them people, you probably end up back on the street again. That human beings are able to change one thing in their lives, but changing four or five things at the same time, particularly of that fundamental basis, is very, it's very really hard. hard. Um, we see lots of services springing up, like soup kitchens, people offering blankets and sleeping bags and so on. Are those helpful? Not really. No, um, you're not. You're not getting anybody helping anybody get off the street by giving them a blanket or a sleeping bag or a tent. You just, you know, it's 
I've got a sleeping bag now and I've got a tent, I've got somewhere to sleep, so I'll stay here. I don't need to go inside. It's not helpful at all. And all the soup kitchens are, I mean, you, when you see people with the hungry and homeless, no, nobody who's homeless in Manchester ever goes hungry. There is a breakfast, dinner and tea every night of the week, every day of the week. So you, they don't go hungry. There's, but there's too many of them popping up, you know, and it's causing all sorts of problems. I guess it's one of those things that people want to help. It's, it's like the yeah, classic, classic. I, and I get that, and and I also think that some people do it out of guilt. It's like when people give money to people, or they don't, or they'll give it on. For instance, with the thing that happened with the arena and the two homeless guys that helped and all this money that was raised for them, I personally think a lot of people gave to that because they felt guilty about ignoring someone who's homeless because he's, you know, I'm not giving him any money because he's just going to use it for drugs and alcohol. That's not the case with everybody. I'm not saying it's not the case with some of them because obviously it is, but most of them people that are begging anyway are not homeless. So you don't think it give, it helps to give money to people no, who are begging or asking not at all. for it? No, giving someone a pound isn't going to help them get on the street, off the streets. So always the target should be getting them off the streets rather yeah. than helping to get them on the... Um, so how would you change the system of support? that's available for rough sleepers, <laughs> without thought? going into the next four hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, I think with the homeless charters, it's helping because it's changing. People with lived experience are now um, try to design, help and design services and changing services. For instance, at the town hall, they've now got a housing options team, which, well, having said that, that's not actually for rough sleepers anyway, but helping people who are actually the professionals who are working in services understand how to speak to people. You know, you don't want somebody... Somebody sat in the town all, all day with all the worldly goods and they're waiting all day and then if they want to go out for a cig or to the loo or something and the name gets shouted, that's it, they've missed their appointment. You know, give them an appointment to come back to so they've got a time, they don't have to sit there waiting all day until you're ready to see them. All sorts of changing services. So redesigning those services around the people with that actually people need them. With people who have got good experience. Mm. And I think that's what's been one of the changes through the Homeless Charter and through the various other projects that we are involved in from representing the private sector is everything seems to be about that lived experience and actually what you need on the streets or coming off. Co-production. Yes, it's a, it's a very in word at the moment. <laughs> I mean, more broadly, um, I think it was interesting what you were saying about um, people give money because they feel guilty or people will buy an extra sandwich because they feel guilty or whatever. Um, what should people do when they see a rough sleeper? How do they engage? talking to them, just speak to them rather than ignoring them. You don't have to give them something. You know, there's, you've got the street support app now that anybody can download onto the phone that's got two parts to it, give help, need help. You know, if you stop and speak to somebody and ask them what sort of help they need, you can just see, you can get on street support, it will tell you where you can get that help at that time or within reason of that time. Um just speak to people, stop, you know, people ignoring them. The problem's not going away if you by you ignoring people. And you're not helping by just giving a pound either, so mm. stop <laughs> giving them money. It's also directing them to services yeah. that have got access to um, the big change fund. Because, I mean, sometimes people just need a bus ticket home, yeah. don't they? And a lot of the charities now can just buy that bus ticket because all the small change has gone to make big change. <laughs> like That's that a one? great slogan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wasted it. I'm wasted. <laughs> but the thing is, this has happened, and we've also paid for tenancies. We've paid for shoes when someone's got size 13 feet and can't buy any shoes. You know, there's all sorts of 
I mean, this week we've actually got a keyboard for someone who's actually very poor at speaking and they're actually communicating more through music and they're sleeping rough and this is just the first step of their journey and it's through music. Mm. You know, there's all these mm. sort of things that mm. big change are actually paying for through the charities. You know, we're talking 18, 19 charities now that actually regular access this pot of money. Mm. And it's, mm. what's quite interesting about big change is it's not quite instant, but it's very quick process in order to get money out to the people who actually need it. It's that idea of micropayments that can make definite changes to but people's under lives. Under a hundred, it's, it's not, like that. It's yeah. not instant if you're after like big stuff, yeah. thing, but that it's instant. If you want a bus ticket, you go to one of them charities and they can give you that bus ticket and then claim it back. So it's instant in that way. If it's under, is it under a hundred pounds? Under a hundred. Yeah, which if, if you need that bus yeah. ticket, that train ticket, mm. whatever it is, it's, it's a really good I way mean, to get it. And I, and I think people are used to that you give money to a charity and it goes off to a big headquarters in London yeah. and then maybe it gets redistributed in a grant form. But actually this is very directly raising money for something that is then spending it on the people who might be outside your business or wherever yeah, around you, which is really important. The spreadsheet that we, we share to show where the funds have gone is a really useful tool for businesses because um, articulating what big change does, sometimes they can't quite get their head around it because it's such as the scale of the issue. They can't see what they've just seen in Piccadilly um, relating to putting a pound into this big change fund. And so I'll take the spreadsheet, and it's all anonymous, obviously, but it will say, look, this is, you know, this is £90,000 we've raised here, and these are 300 people we've helped, and they're all tiny amounts of money. But every single one of that person has benefited in a better way, I'd argue, than mm. get the pound going. It might only be £2 for a bus ticket, but mm. it could be £500 for furniture for accommodation that they've now got. Mm. But also, even £2 for a bus ticket can change somebody's yeah. life. If it's to get them <laughs> to the an right appointment. Time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We've paid this morning for um, nappies and baby formula for someone who's in a homeless hostel. You know, they, they've got absolutely no money at all, mm. and that's for the child. Mm. So it's all those little things that have mm. happened. Uh, we're buying a passport mm. for someone who's going into detox and hopefully will be going joining his father um, elsewhere. So, you know, there's all these little bits of um, stories that are happening and I don't think the public are aware how much the charities actually do. And the big change has made it possible for them to not think about, oh, where do I get that five quid bus ticket from? Because mm. that is what used to happen. Mm. And now, I mean, I, I think I've done six um, applications this morning, mm. two for over 100, and then the rest were under. I mean, a nice little one was um, last week when it was hot, Urban Village Medical Practice actually got water, sun cream and hats for the rough sleepers because actually they were getting burnt. Mm. You know, it's mm. very simple mm. little mm. things like mm. that. Mm. Okay, Alex, when we talk about businesses, mm. what are the issues they face around rough sleeping and how do they react? Um, the immediate issues are if they're a particularly customer-facing organisation, so the hotels, food and beverage sector is, um, you know, we are Team Manchester, we're all about the city, this is a vibrant place to come and visit and work and do business. And, um, you know, from a humanitarian point of view, they're quite horrified by what they're seeing, but also it's having an, an effect on their bottom line. People aren't con coming back. We've seen bad TripAdvisor reviews, for example, around certain hotels. And, you know, as we've just discussed, it all gets lumped under homeless. So my job is to try to educate as many 
influential managers and frontline staff on the root causes and the terminology and then bring in the and this is what you can do to help and this is how you can um, get your staff fundraising day for example to give money to big change or how you can stop that cupcake bake for the homeless or because I've never met I've never met a homeless person who really wants a cupcake on the street um, and so we sort of we sort of talk to them but 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 ultimately it is it's a two-pronged response and I think that's quite difficult for people to be you know moved to do something and quite horrified but also being a bit kind of actually this is really really affecting my business and I need some swift action here so we do we do walk a tightrope really between a good and pioneering humanitarian response and uh, the city still needs to function economically so how do we how do we resolve those two things at the same time do you think over the last couple of years as we've seen more rough sleepers and obviously since the publicity around spice has the attitude of businesses changed the ones who um have made a commitment to understand the root causes of the problems and be involved um, their attitudes have been very much, um, you know, they've, they're, part, they're, they're advocates within their own organisation. So there's a couple of big retailers, for example, that I've spent a lot of time with. And um, they will be the first to um, counter any criticism. So if any, even if it's from their own board or their visiting directors who might say, uh, what's going on here? They can give a very good five minute speech on what's happening in the city, but also what we're doing and how they are part of it. And that's really important for them to be able to say, we've signed up to the Manchester Homeless Partnership, we've got the charter in our staff room, it's on our newsletters. We know what big change means, we understand what alternative giving is all about. Um, yeah, so that is good. I still get a few, well, you've been talking about big change for two years and, 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 and nothing's changed. And that's, that's the challenge of the private sector and the public sector and the third sector's timelines is... You know, we're very committed to systemic change at Citico. We understand that we need to work in co-produce co things and work with people with lived experience. But those time frames don't work for our businesses. You know, we're talking seasonal businesses that need to make money in certain parts of the year. And, um, you know, they, they stop being <laughs> quite so charitable when they're losing losing money and they're getting bad TripAdvisor reviews or they're getting bad Facebook assassinations. We're seeing a few occasions yeah. recently of... Uh, big agents or big landlords actually mm. saying that they're they're losing potential tenants and quite major tenants because of just not a specific is issue but the general issue around the city yeah, centre yeah. as well. And I do spend a lot of time talking people down and saying, hang on a second, you know, these are people and they're in the worst circumstances. And and for me, the great thing about working with um, with with Eleanor and Joe and all the other people on the on on the team is I now have a, a kind of library of, of of stories that I can tell to people. I mean, particularly the event that we did on Monday um, when we talked about the police officer who was um, sleeping rough on the streets of Manchester and ended up drinking, very sadly, drinking himself to death. And it really made everyone sit up and listen because don't think that this is other, this isn't you, this is this could be you quite easily. So having those sort of experiences um, is really, really useful. So what we hear a lot from businesses, because I think they don't necessarily have any ideas about how they can help, you either have a very ad hoc rea reaction from members of staff, giving them a sandwich, giving a rough sleeper a pound as they come out, mm -hmm. buying them lunch as they're mm. buying themselves lunch, or you have those, those businesses that do have big CSR policies, mm. and almost always their first reaction is, I know what we'll do, we'll cook lunch on Christmas Day for the homeless, yeah, which is <laughs> something that you hear again and again and yeah. again. So how do businesses help in an effective way? Yeah. 
3rd of January, that's a good date. Yeah, yeah. That's what we say, isn't it? (laughs) David Bowie's birthday, the 8th of January, and he always used to say it was actually the worst day because it's it's exactly two weeks after Christmas, it's exactly two weeks after New Year's Day, nobody ever Mm. wants to come out. And he said that was why he started singing once one of his interviews. (laughs) Because nobody else would entertain him on the 8th of January. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we sort of triage the businesses, don't we? We say, well, what is it that you could provide that is useful and helpful? Um, and just where the Street Support app, which Joe mentioned just now, comes in, into use because we really encourage the grassroots charities through the network, so places like Barnabas and Cornerstones and the Booth Centre to say, we need this, and it could be anything, underpants, mm. our bathrooms, painting, translation services. So our first point of call with businesses would be to say, have a look at that. Is there anything there that you think, oh, you know, Barbara and Accounts might be able to help for a couple of hours with someone with their maths because they want to do a GCSE? If it's bigger, you know, if it's broader, um, for example, Coffee for Craig have been um, working with Salford University. They've been given a, um, a premises, the Woolpack Pub. Now, enthusiasm, this doesn't work on a podcast, so I'm doing a hand gesture, but <laughs> enthusiasm is at the ceiling. But actual project management application of is is perhaps not there. So that's where CityCo can come in and say, well, I know that an organisation wants to give help, not, not money necessarily, but but a long-term sustained intervention, they might be able to help you project manage this or they may be able to help you broker some sort of longer-term funding. So it's sort of having that gatekeeping... Sort of higher up the chain, isn't it? So yeah, you're not necessarily yeah. directly doing stuff yeah, with people who are yeah, living, but yeah. you're helping in the longer term yeah. using your skills. Yeah, and then you can talk about that really, really um, boldly. So my kind of ambition is to have a very well-informed business community. So if they are ever asked why, you know, whether you're the concierge at a hotel or you are the, the FD of a, of a, of a accountancy mm-hmm. firm, you can say very strongly, we're part of this movement and, and we've signed up and this is what we're doing to resolve it. So you can't really... Where do, where do you go from that? It's taken the argument, hasn't it? I mean, one of the asks we've had from Riverside recently is a Zumba teacher for one of our other projects, mm. not in Manchester, but, you know, it, it's amazing. People's skills are what we need. Mm. Mm. Yes, big change needs the money and mm. all the charities still need the money, mm. but it's like hairdressers. Mm. We're desperate for hairdressers, mm. but actually not to come to our projects, actually to offer appointments mm. so people can feel normal. Mm. So it is about using the skills rather than, like Just Alex money. says, mm. come cupcakes because mm. <laughs> there, there have been a few barbers and hairdressers who've been out around on the streets and mm. I've, I've got a good friend who's an osteopath who's gone out and mm. worked with people on the streets mm. but actually if we're encouraging people to talk directly to the services mm. it all comes back to um the app we keep talking about is street support which is at streetsupport.net mm. um, and basically is the one-stop shop uh, for mm. all information mm. about what you need to do, mm. what you can do to help, but what you need to do if there are issues for your business as well yeah. or if you're is- issues mm. as an individual, and also links into the big change and talks all about um, what the big change is doing and, and how you can help raise money for it. We did an event on Monday to the F&B sector at a ridiculous time in the morning. Food and beverage. Food and beverage sector, sorry. (laughs) Where we talked through a lot of these issues and and had representatives both from Street Support and um, from Coffee for Craig, which Mm. was absolutely brilliant. Mm. What was interesting is after two years, two and a half years of talking about big change, I think four out of the 40 people in the room had heard of the process. Mm. So though it's our sort of day, Mm. day by day Mm. thing, Mm. how do we get that message out better? Yeah, well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, um, the gentleman that asked the question had a good, valid point and said, you know, it needs to be bigger. Well, we spend the money that we raise on rough sleepers and preventing rough sleeping. We don't have half a million quid for an enormous cam- yeah. campaign. So 
we always encourage businesses to put it on their mail outs to make it part of their briefing to get as much PR and Jen Williams at um, the Evening News uh, I think she made a commitment to keep mentioning it but um, you know it needs support as a campaign it needs more advocates it needs more good, mm. good news stories coming out um, we can always give out posters for people to put in the wind business windows and stuff we can do all the small stuff but um, it is the most successful alternative giving campaign this country this country has ever seen she said <laughs> with enormous confidence nobody facts check that good point I suppose it depends how you define alternative giving so we're going to come up and go excuse me yeah I've been giving parsnips for three months the interesting thing about big mm. changes though um, we're all volunteers mm. and this is when when people say it should be bigger it, mm. it should be this it should be that no one's actually working on big change. We mm. do it as part of mm. our daily job. I mean, mm. I'm an area manager with responsibility for hundreds, well, 100 housing units, mm. and big change is is voluntary. Mm. And I don't think people mm. actually appreciate that mm. because nobody actually gets big cha- um, paid for big change. Mm. So if it did get bigger, there would actually be some issues for that and how it would be run. Bigger well, big change. <laughs> the change. news is basically one of the businesses has actually committed to pay for admin for the big change because obviously admin takes up a lot of what we do so it's not coming out of the pot the pot of big change it's actually one of the businesses that are paying for it mm-hmm. which is which is it's amazing a great example what can we do what can we do you know yeah. do this please because that's actually going to make it much easier mm-hmm. um what do businesses need to do if they have people sleeping rough on their property? Yeah, it's a challenge. It's really heartbreaking for a lot of businesses. I've had managers phoning me in tears for weeks on end because they 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 feel they've been abandoned. Um, if you know, as Joe said, if you can't start that dialogue and reason with somebody for whatever reason, they're either out of it or don't want to uh, move or quite comfortable where they are. Um, there is a um, there is a rough sleeping team in the city centre of Manchester. Um, works in partnership with us and the police. Um, we will um, alert them to that individual. It is likely that that individual is known to the rough sleeping team um, and will have been asked to go into services for whatever reason. They've refused. So that's when you've got a fine line between um, antisocial behaviour, uh, causing distress and alarm to people who are, who are trying to go around their, go about their legitimate business um, and trying to look after the needs of the vulnerable person. And that's really hard, actually, and it's really very emotionally draining for everybody who's involved. We saw a very powerful film on our Monday event of some body cam footage of one of the police officers who was trying to engage with a young lady, and within moments, uh, the officer was surrounded by well-meaning people telling him to leave her alone. Which and, was actually yeah. interrupting him trying to phone the housing services <laughs> to find us some accommodation at the yeah, time. Yeah, so, you know, you, you feel really torn because there are no good health outcomes for someone on the streets. You know, th- there's there's nothing good about living on the streets for anybody. I don't care what anybody says. We're not talking about the free-spirited noble vagabond here. We're talking about people being abused, being vulnerable, being subjected to all sorts of... Um, racketeering and and, you know it's just horrible so I've got a foot in both camps on that side you know I'm I'm very much working in co-production with people who've been in that position but I'm also working with lots of businesses and I think people have got a right to go to work and go about their legitimate business without feeling ground down by this every day um, so that's when that's the challenge. That is the real challenge, and um, representing that voice on the on the homeless partnership board is is can be quite tough actually, um, but. I seem to be getting somewhere. 
Yeah, he uh, shouts loudest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, for all three of you, really, um, where are we going to be in five years' time? What's needed to change to improve the situation? There are things coming. Mm. I mean, there's the trailblazer, there's the rough sleeping. So what's the trailblazer? It's money from the government, basically, but we haven't been told how much we're getting <laughs> yet. Um, and to Manchester. GA. Someone and else might have got it all. Yeah, right in Manchester. <laughs> Let's go to Manchester. Also. There's also the rough sleeping social impact bond for Greater Manchester. There's also a preventative service. There's a lot of services. I think the government are actually finally sitting up and saying, actually, we need to spend some hard cash on this. It isn't Manchester Council, it's the government actually saying, let's fund some more, because they've had cuts for the last five years. So, yes, I hope this happens. I think we've got a new mayor that is very involved with homelessness and is listening. I mean, he, he's set up his mayor's fund and he's yeah. already funded um, Cough Craig and Street Support already so mm. i think the future is bright but we also have to stop the flow onto the streets with the care leavers the young people i mean that is going to be the focus i think in the next five years to stop that flow mm-hmm. i think prisons need to do a lot as well to help that as well because people coming out of prison you just get no help whatsoever it's you know coming out of prison and it's like the day before you come out have you got somewhere if you've got nothing, well, you like, you know, well, we'll find you somewhere, but they don't, you know. Mm. Two weeks, they start working with you like two weeks before you come out, and but they're not doing it properly. Mm. Mm. It is all about that prevent, isn't it? It's yeah. preventing people getting into that situation. Um, yeah, it's it's an enormous challenge, but as Ellen has just said, you know, Andy Burnham's made it his number one manifesto promise, and we've seen, we've seen. We've seen action, haven't we? Mm, yeah, yeah sort of already. Yeah, it was his first, his, that mm. was his first thing he did as, mm. as mayor was to launch his homelessness fund. Mm. And, I, and I think when you then say, I'm going to put 15% of my salary into that fund straight away as and your, as your first so, gesture, yeah. uh, that is mm. actually making quite and a actually, major you know, statement at that mm. point. Isn't yeah, it? there's none of this, although he's not done that yet, has mm. he? It was the first thing he did, he has mm. actually done it. Mm. So, I think the scale of it as well, though, I mean, we were talking about this on Monday, but don't get paralysed by... The, the routes in because you can you can become mm. overwhelmed and this is what I try not to do with businesses and give them every single reason why you might not be able to come off the streets but just give them a very top line this is how you can help because actually as you said prison care coming up hospital relationship breakdown Brexit who knows yeah you know yeah Happy waters ahead and what <laughs> shifted as well with um, rough sleeping is the main cause of homelessness at the moment is now private rented. And the actual tenancy is there. So there's a lot of work to be done on that side as well. Okay. And we hope to have representatives from the Mayor's team on homelessness yeah. coming to a future podcast. Yeah, Beth's going to be here, Beth Knowles. She would have been here today, but she's... She selfishly somewhere. at a housing conference. Yeah, How exactly. Having to do something else with the Mayor. How dare she? <laughs> Uh, the app we talked about was Street Support, which is available at streetsupport.net. Uh, go and look on the site. It gives you pretty well every piece of information that you will need around what you can do to help people who are rough sleeping, uh, whether that's giving money or whether it's practical help or whether it's how to talk to people. Uh, a lot of information on the, about the Big Change campaign on there as well. Thanks to all our guests and to our friends at Blueprint Studios in downtown Salford for hosting and recording us. We'll undoubtedly return to the subject in future editions. If you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR. We should soon be available on all good podcast services. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>